Hey, 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 it's your boy Jake Ware here, coming to you not so live on the Saw podcast, interviewing Dan Scarola today, who is currently still in the Air Force as a criminal investigator, talking about some very cool stuff he has coming up in the coming months, so tune in. Not too much, uh, do you go by Dan or Daniel? I go by Dan. Uh, Daniel's usually uh, by my mom when I'm in trouble. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same. Well, my mom doesn't call me Daniel when I'm in trouble. It's, it's yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That'd be weird, but it's all good. <laughs> Alrighty. So, uh, what's your last name? Is it Scarola? Orola? Yeah, it's, okay. it's Scarola. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, I changed my last name uh, just for social media purposes with my job. Uh, okay. What is it that you yeah, do? Yeah. I'm an investigator. I'm a criminal investigator with the U.S. Air Force. Oh, oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so it's a, it's been a, it's been a blessing for sure. Oh, that. Do you have video? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay. This wasn't up. I know. Beautiful. Okay, there we go. There I am. So, uh, you also is it lacrosse? I forget yeah. what I said. Lacrosse. Yeah. Yeah, lacrosse has been my. Uh, I've been playing that since I was six years old uh, here on Long Island, New York. So uh, for, for a long, long time, now for about 22 years, I've, I've been playing uh, through childhood, middle school, high school, and even in the military. Very cool. I don't think I've ever actually yeah. met somebody before that plays lacrosse. <laughs> oh, man. There's a first for everything, man. Yeah, I get that a lot, especially in the military. A lot of the guys and uh, the men and women that I meet, they're like, what are you talking about? Is that like the thing where they play with the, the, the nets on the sticks? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's me. Okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't have exposure to it. I'm Indiana boy. Grew up oh, in a small town in Indiana, so basketball. Yeah, basketball, wrestling, got a good football, yeah. Yeah. All righty. So uh, I'm excited about what you're doing, this fundraising and stuff you're doing for uh, Save the Warrior. That's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I had uh, in mind for a long time, and then once I found out that I was able to participate and kind of be the, the, the guy on the ground, uh, to help out, it was a it was a wonderful way to pay it forward for sure. Uh, because sometimes being overseas, active duty, it gets really hard to uh, find ways to pay it forward. Whether it's uh, you know overseas in a foreign country or in Guam. Um, when I found out that, and I was able to contact some people at Save a Warrior about shooting for soldiers, it really it really took off. And I'm so glad that everyone's helping out, and I can do something like that. That is cool. Very cool. So, yeah. um, when did you go through Save a Warrior? So I went through Save a Warrior in May of 2016. Okay. okay yeah. Wow. Yeah, so cohort uh, 035. Okay, so you were like, what, three after me? A couple months later? Yep. Awesome. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. awesome. So, uh, yeah, so what I'd like to do here is just get uh, a bit of your backstory. Go in, like, uh, if you've done a video for Save a Warrior, kind of uh, similar with uh, just what what it was like for you before you joined the military. And uh, what was there for you? What encouraged you to join? Like who you were, what you were into, all that. And then uh, then we'll go into you joining the military, what your experience was like there, and then continue on Absolutely. with uh, how your transition was afterwards. And, Absolutely. Yeah. All righty. So uh, um, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I grew up in Long Island, New York, uh, which is about, you know, a 30-minute train ride uh, from New York City. And um, I grew up with a, with a wonderful family, a brother, uh, 
my mom, my dad from a, an Italian uh, Italian home, Italian heritage. So family was a huge deal for me. Um, I found out I found a lot of uh, camaraderie and family through sports as well. Uh, my dad has been an athletic director at a high school for over 30 years. So um, I grew up playing a lot of sports, and I found uh, a lot of passion with my with sports and, and the sport of lacrosse. However, the military never came into my mind uh, until September 11th, uh, 2001. Once uh, once the planes uh, hit the towers was when I knew there was something that I had to do. There was something that was bigger than myself, bigger than sports, uh, that had to be done. And that's when I immediately knew that the military or being a first responder was going to be it. And um, <laughs> once I was old enough to go to a military recruiter, I um, I first went to the Marine recruiter, and uh, that didn't work out because uh, mom and dad was, were like, well, uh, we support you, but, you know, mom and dad, we don't want you to join the Marine Corps um, because they're, they're in the first line of defense. So what about a different branch? I was like, okay, next one over was the US, U.S. Air Force. And I thought since I kind of messed up a lacrosse, uh, lacrosse scholarship at the Air Force Academy, I thought, hey, why not? go enlist into the Air Force. They have like the same benefits. So the Air, Air Force was it. Uh, I joined out of Hempstead, New York, in Long Island and, um, in 2006. So I graduated high school in 2006, and right after graduation, I was out. And I joined, uh, and I went to, shipped off to San Antonio, Texas at Lackland Air Force Base. And uh, I joined as a security forces, which is the Air Force uh, military police. So I kind of had the best of both worlds as like a first responder and uh, kind of an, an infantryman in the Air Force. So I knew I wanted to uh, take the fight to the enemy. Uh, the recruiter, the recruiter really uh, kind of drove that home for me. Uh, he knew he, he used the word deploy, you know, M4, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and he, he just spoke to me because I knew there's something else I can do bigger than myself, bigger than Long Island, New York, and I wanted to. Um, pay forward and, and, and pay back and, and honor the ones who uh, were killed on 9-11. And uh, so 2006 is when I started my, uh, my, my tech school academy and um, um, shipped off to my first base, which is in Little Rock, Arkansas. So you have somebody that grew up in uh, New York City and Long Island, New York, and you go to Little Rock, Arkansas, and it was a culture shock for sure, but um, very high, uh, high ops tempo as the military police and security forces. Um, uh, my first deployment, which was, you know, don't feel bad for me, it was to the United Arab Emirates in uh, in Dubai. Um, that really, uh, it really upset me that that deployment. Um, yeah, I was 19 years old and I was deployed and I was doing doing what I was asked to do as far as force protection, but I had a chip on my shoulder because this isn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something out there. I wanted to do what the Marines were doing. I wanted to do what the Army was doing. Uh, I wanted to fight the enemy. To be honest with you. I returned back from my deployment uh, in 2008, and uh, within six months, I volunteered to go on a, uh, a year-long tour to Baghdad, Iraq, uh, to train the Iraqi policemen. Um, I had a couple of mentors of mine that were uh, were killed in action, uh, Air Force Security Forces members who were killed in action on that same mission uh, in the Abu Ghraib district of, of Baghdad, Iraq. And once I had the chance, I raised my hand, and, and uh, I was out. Um, I was I was in Baghdad, Iraq uh, for a year um, uh, from 2009 into 2010 uh, with, you know, three or four months of Army training before that. Uh, I was attached to the 2nd Infantry um, and, the, and the military police battalion in, in Baghdad, and it was a wonderful experience. 
Um, yeah, I will say, you know, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, and just like anybody who's ever served in a combat zone, but it was, uh, I focused on the good times and I focused on the, my brothers and sisters to my left and right. Um, and once I, uh, I was a, I was a lead gunner. I was a 50 cal gunner, uh, downrange, uh, in, in Iraq. And, uh, it was a, it was a eye-opening experience as a 20 year old kid, um, being exposed to some of the things I was not prepared to, to be exposed to. Um, and my, and then you kind of turn a chapter and how did you, you got yeah, how did you deal with those things, uh, at the time? Like, like put me in that moment, like when you were 22, you're exposed to some bad stuff. Uh, what, what was your like coping mechanisms or what did you do to deal with it or not deal with it? Yeah. Um, you know, being such a young kid, you know, I thought this is what I wanted and it was at the time. However, um, whether it was, um, uh, Coming back from those long missions, I, we really didn't have a chance to, to cope with the things we saw. You know, we didn't have much downtime, uh, you know, shower, shave, uh, maybe go work out and then on to the next mission. Uh, I really owe it to my brothers and sisters that I was with. Um, my roommate, who was my, my best friend and my wife's brother-in-law, actually. Uh, we were, we were bunked up together. We were both gunners. He's seen me at my best, and he's seen me at my worst, and vice versa. And if it wasn't for him or my other squad members, I don't think I'd be here, to be honest with you, um, because it's that sense of humor. It's that that going on 15th, 16th hour outside the wire conversations you're having about back home or the pizza that I'm missing back on Long Island or the corn that my best buddy's missing from Iowa, like – it was those things like that, or the care packages that my family was sending. Like, it was just those little things that kept you going. Because we didn't have time to grieve. We didn't have time to really process it. It was just, we kind of laughed at it. We kind of had this dark sense of humor. And that comes, uh, that unfortunately comes with first responders or, or during combat deployments. Um, so I owe it to, I owe it to my team members, uh, and have, and being led by some wonderful NCOs downrange. Uh, and, and lead me the right way. And it wasn't until my return home was when the uh, the clouds clouds were very very dark. Yeah, I love uh, one thing that you pointed out there though. Uh, not just your friends getting you through it. I, I experienced the same thing with that. It was all of us joking around, smoking. I smoked mm-hmm. back then, but just that that's what got you through. It's just the constant humor. But uh, one yep. thing you pointed out, uh, similar to the book, uh, A Man's Search for Meaning. Have you read that yet? Uh, no, but I've, I have been, uh, I've been told to read that. Yeah, so in that, it's, it's the exact same thing that he, um, that he picked up on. The guy who wrote the book, he, he's in internment yeah. camps and he was a, a psychologist and he noticed what the one thing was that everybody had who made it through. Anybody who survived, they all had something to look forward to. Like they had something that they could imagine. Like you said, the food that you were missing, the pizza you were missing. All of that, yep. whatever it may be, you, you hold on to something that the future holds for you, and you hold that hope. Absolutely. And like that's that's what helps people survive hard situations. So it's it's amazing you you recall that from the situation, and this is something like one of the world's possible like greatest psychologists and like greatest studies ever done said wow. the same thing. So <laughs> very cool. Yeah. No, it, it was. You're absolutely right. Like whether it's football season, talking about football season. Um, you know, stuff back home. Yeah, it was just really this, that common thread. Just like if I meet anybody in the U.S. Air Force, the one thing we have in common is we've all been through boot camp. 
So it's just one of those things that you find that one thing that we that we all had in common downrange with my brothers and sisters, and it, and we're all going through it together. You know, we all had that tough mission. We all had to be exposed to, you know, you know, a mission X or uh, this scenario. So you come back, you have the chow hall, you got like 20 minutes to eat, and you're just you're just laughing. You're or you're just like, oh my god, I can't believe we made it through that. But they laugh it off, and it's on to the next one. Like, hey, who wants dessert? Let's go bring it to the truck. You put some honey buns in your cargo pocket, grab a couple of rivets, and and you're back off. You know what I'm saying? So um, little things like that. Yeah, it, it was just to keep moving forward, keep moving forward. But again, yeah, it was uh, we all disbanded uh, after the deployment, and that's when and that's when it started getting getting worse. So, and was it a you feel a sense of loss when you got out? Like, or was it just all the compounded things that you put off uh, yeah. hitting you? At once. Oh, absolutely. It, I, I will say I landed at Little Rock National Airport for my deployment. Uh, there was maybe one or two people at the airport, unfortunately, because of how late I was there. Um, and probably the 10-minute ride home in, in the cab, I realized that I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back on the airplane and, and go back to the mission because I realized that that was my norm. We were all there for so long, and when you're exposed to danger for so long, when you're exposed to what if, you don't want to come back to a safe environment. You want to go back to that what if and just knowing that, um, honestly, living every minute like it might be your last. Where in the States, you didn't really have that. So I was telling I was telling buddies, I was telling supervisors, I just want to go back. I just want to go back. And I kind of realized I had even more of a chip on my shoulder and realized that probably wasn't the best way to heal things. It's just to go back because it's not, it's not going to help things, you know. Um, it got to the point where I was supposed to show up to work um, the next day to end process at my unit. You know, here I am as an active duty E4, supposed to show up to my unit, but I showed up late because I was driving for the first time. Um, and I got – I was at an overpass with a bunch of uh, bunch of bags of trash on the side of the road. And I just sat there. I pulled over and I sat there, and I wondered what to do. Like, do I pass it, you know, I'm like back in the gunner seat, um, and I sat out there for like 12 minutes, and I ended up showing up late to my appointment. Luckily, I'm a supervisor. I had to be like, I got him. He's good to go. But that was the beginning of it all processing day by day, night by night, um, you know, and, and sleeping with the band of brothers on DVD, having to go to sleep to test fire, getting used to going to sleep to Hilo, test fire, stuff like that, right by our bunk. Here I am going home to an empty apartment, falling asleep to the Band of Brothers. Um, that that's the sound that came with the DVDs. You know, that was my norm, and a lot of veterans, that's normal. It's impossible for me to fall asleep in silence. Oh, I, um, I can still like if I get on an airplane or something, I can just fall right asleep to the hum of the engines, just like sitting yep. in the striker. Just I, I'm just <laughs> out immediately, like surrounded by Absolutely. people. I can sleep better than in a comfortable bed alone. It's Amen, not. man. You're, you are speaking my language. Yeah, whether it's a, it's like just like that in a Humvee that that or the MRAP, like that that nice humming, just like an airplane. Like I'm out. Like it's it's just one of the things that we all have in common. And um, I think a tough part was the fact that as active duty air, airmen, we don't deploy as a unit uh, because of this particular mission with the relief for forces for the U.S. Army. We all came from all over the world, onesies, twosies, and I. Made I made a family. You know, we arrived as strangers, left as brothers, and we all just left. 
and I didn't have my deployment brothers to my left or right. You know, we had technology, but I didn't have my buddy Sean. I didn't have my supervisor, Sergeant Flores, to be like, listen, I'm not having a good day. So it just left me just lonely, just wanting to not do anything, uh, obsessed with looking at pictures, obsessed with going back to squad videos or helmet cams. Like, that probably wasn't the best way, but that's what my brain was just reacting to something that it was used to doing, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. You're the second person I've heard with uh, that unique story of just deploying and not not deploying with your unit, being attached to another, so that you 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 don't come back with those people to be able to talk to them and like share those memories. The first so the first time I heard it was just recently, actually, a, a guy who was uh, doing an internship with the nonprofit that I'm uh, volunteering with. Yeah. And I had another friend go in, and they started talking about like their time in the Marines and stuff. And found out like they talked to each other in Afghanistan. Like <laughs> they realized they'd been in some of the same firefights. Just my buddy that was with me just was attached to another unit and wasn't able to stay in contact with any of those people for the most of them, and yeah. never had any of them around afterwards. So he's like, "Dude, that was the most amazing thing for me, is to be able to have that conversation." So yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. And I think that was tough. Luckily, we had. Um, you know, we had email, you know, there was, I think Facebook was just starting to get popular, you know, back in 2010. So, um, but I never really got to get, you know, eyes on, eyes on my buddies, just to be like, hey, you're doing okay. Because on social media, in emails, I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm doing good, man, I'm doing good. But if I was able to get eyes on, or someone was able to get eyes on me, uh, they'd probably be able to realize, like, this dude's not doing too hot. And I know, I know a lot of us weren't. I know a majority, I think out of the 70 of us, I'd probably say half of us either got divorced or got out of, the, got out of active duty because of that deployment and because of the the we lost our sense of purpose. We lost our sense of impact because you go back, you go on your leave, and you come back to your regular duty. You go back to law enforcement as a security forces airman, and that wasn't good enough. So a lot of us are just frustrated. Um, luckily, I was so lucky that Uncle Sam trusted me enough to hire me and become uh, uh, an instructor at the, at the uh, deployment training center for the U.S. Air Force in uh, Ramstein, Germany. So I, then, I, then again, I thought I was okay because uh, I was still in the void with teaching about deployment and combat skills and mounted, dismounted movements and reacting to contact. But little did I know that I was not, I was not still in the void in a healthy way. It just made me miss it more. It just made it just made the void worse for me. Um, and it and I was surrounded by guys who have been there, done that. I got the t-shirt, so it was really cool. Um, but my mental health, my emotional stability, my sense of purpose was became minuscule when I got to Guam. When I'm PCS from from Germany to Guam, uh, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. what, what was it that was so hard for you? Then if you don't mind going into it, like, could you tell me like what that experience was like? Uh, like put me, put me back there. Like, yeah. What you? the transition from Germany to Guam? Yeah. Like what it, yeah. what it felt like for you? What, uh, what seemed different? What was hitting you at that point? Absolutely. Yeah. So I spent, uh, I was at, I was at Little Rock for maybe, maybe six to nine months after my deployment. And I was like, you know what? Here I go. I'm going to put into this job to be an instructor. I ended up getting it, um, and being in Germany for three years was great. Uh, I was starting uh, starting a family. I thought everything was great. Here I am teaching. 
thousands and thousands of deploying security forces airmen going to do the damn thing. Um, and I'm going to these great schools. I'm earning some great uh, stuff for my resume. Um, I was, like, back in the gunner seat, and, and teaching was amazing. It was really paying it forward. However, when I got orders to Guam, um, now with two children, and completely taking me out of that combat role uh, and back into purely law enforcement, military law enforcement, um, and then also on the other side of the world, this speck of dust known as Guam on a map. Um, though it could be beautiful on the surface, all these great things, in my head I was having a it, was a, it was a tsunami, it was a hurricane because I was no longer in that seat. I was no longer needed in that combat role. Um, I, I wasn't really put in a good position to lead troops. And even if I did lead troops, it was in a law enforcement role. So it was really, really tough for me to have that camaraderie, that family, that uh, I wasn't really the subject matter expert anymore. And then I just started, it kind of just det- was deteriorating without, I, without me even noticing. Um, and it hit me really hard when I got, uh, I went to Fort Bliss, Texas, and I got to go to the Air Force Marksman Sniper School. And um, I ended up breaking my ankle three days before graduation. And, uh, you know, I was laid up in a hotel um, with, you know, eating the pain, the pain pills they are giving me, trying to heal up. Um, and it made me feel even more, I felt worthless. I'm broken. I'm going to gain weight. I can't do it with my guys. I'm not going to deploy now because I can't be a sharpshooter. That was my hopes of deploying because when you go to Guam, you can only deploy if you're a marksman or a sharpshooter. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, this, uh, this CNN program called The War Comes Home comes on CNN, and it's about Save a Warrior. And seeing a, a short documentary made me realize how broken I was and how the individuals on this documentary felt the same way I did felt angry, felt without purpose, reaching for things to fill a void that's not going to work. Um, and here I was with a bottle of, you know, with a, a bottle of pills, just wondering, like, what am I doing? And um, the uh, individuals in Save Warrior, I reached out to them. And uh, it was the period from when I broke my ankle to attending Save Warrior where it was, yeah, it was the worst. Um, I felt myself getting more irritable at work at home with my kids, my wife, um, no, doesn't do nothing social. I will not be anywhere near a crowd. Um, loud noises. Fourth of July, you'd find me nowhere, but with noise canceling headphones because I didn't want to hear the fireworks, stuff like that. And it was really affecting my relationship with my family and my kids. Um, and it wasn't until the phone call I got that I was going to go to save warriors, what literally saved my life. Uh, I don't know. I, I can tell you right now, I don't know if I'd be here without that phone call uh, from Brian Haggerty saying I'm I'm going to save a warrior. And I was in Guam. He was like, "Hey, brother, you want to come to you, you want to come to California? You better start swimming all the way from Guam." Um, <laughs> and I looked at my wife, uh, and you know, she said, "You know, it doesn't matter how much it costs to get to to California, because I know it's gonna it's gonna save your life." And Jake, I'll tell you what, man, I'm here talking to you with a smile on my face because of that damn program. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, Brian, man, like he has a way. Just even over the phone, you can, oh. you immediately just know, like this guy cares. Like, I yep. remember the first time I heard his voice over the phone. The the very night I applied, in the middle of the night, I unloaded on that application, just talking oh, about just how bad stuff was. And it's yep. like three in the morning, 
and I get a call from Brian, like, hey, brother, it's Brian from Save a Warrior. Like, how you doing? Yeah. How you doing? You okay? Like, just right there, I was like, whoa, what? I expected I was going to put that application in. I didn't, I don't know how this stuff works. I was yep. like, I'm going to put this application in, and, and it's a long shot for me to get into yep. this. But that's not Absolutely. how it is. Anybody who needs help and needs to be in that seat, they find a way. And yep. that's, that's amazing. Yeah, the, um, I swear, I, I, I Facebook messaged uh, Jay Clark, the Jay Clark, because I saw him on TV, and he messaged me within minutes um, with such caring words and letting me know, and, and giving it to me straight, saying because I'm active duty and kind of where I'm stationed and stuff like that, it might be a little while, but to just stay in the fight. He told me to stay in the fight, and he gave me some uh, mindfulness meditation techniques to exercise before I got, got to go to the warrior. And that's when I realized, like, wow, there, there are people out there that care. There are people that have been there and done that, that care for me. And they're complete strangers, you yeah. know. And I um, just that phone call made me realize, okay, things are tough. Things suck. Um, but there's hope. There's that glimmer of hope. There's that, that slice of cheese pizza when you're in Baghdad, Iraq, that, that gives you that ability to keep moving forward. And um, it, it was uh, – it was a sign from God, I'll tell you that much. It was a sign from God when I think it was almost like exactly a year later when I got the phone call um, from Brian saying, hey, you're up. Let's go. We need you. And uh, just hearing someone say they needed me, it brought me back into the gunner seat, brought me back into an op order saying, hey, Squirrel, we need you to do this, man, because this is what this is the mission. And um, it gave me that sense of purpose again. And uh, my life changed after that. Like my career, everything changed, like catapulted. Uh, after save war, uh, where I am right now. So, Kyle, like, uh, what what changes happened in your career and like in your life, family life, just all of that? Can you actually? Yeah. Um. I uh before before save a warrior, there were a lot of times where I just did not. I refused to open up. Refused to open up about anything. Um. When there was an anniversary of a of a uh, a, a death from someone who was KIA or Memorial Day or Veterans Day, you know, I had a young child. My, my daughter um, would ask me, you know, what these holidays were, or my wife asked me, hey, are you okay? And I would just shut down. I just like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm fine. It's not a big deal. Um, so many fights with my wife over the smallest things, uh, um, the smallest noise that my kids were making, just doing what kids do would just set me off for no reason. Um, alienating myself from social parties, anything like that, because I didn't want to talk or I didn't want crowds or I just wanted, didn't want to have fun. I literally enjoyed not having fun. So that's no way to live, you know. And um, thoughts of uh, thoughts of suicide started creeping in because I remember people just saying that it's not going to get better and this is something you have to live with. And it is what it is. Here I am Googling symptoms and do I even have it? Um should I even tell the military about it? Um, because I want to, I want a clearance. I want to have all these things in my career. And so that's another thing. I'm living a lie. I'm not telling people on the surface. Here I am. Sergeant Squirrel is great, but people are like icebergs. You only see above the surface. And below my surface was it expanded out like a, like the damn Titanic iceberg. It was really bad. And um, it was at the time with a three-year-old son. Uh, and a, and a, and a six-year-old daughter, um, I was not the dad that I needed to be. I was not the dad that my, my dad showed me how to raise children. 
I, my poor wife, though she was my rock, I was not treating her the way she needed to be treated. But there she was, you know, returning fire right back at me, you know, and, and, and she held me accountable. And once that favor warrior call came in, man, I, I about passed out. And five days, I just remember hugging my wife and kids, saying bye to them on favor warrior. Like from that day to five days later, it was a complete change of everything. Like even to the fact of, I think I said bye to my wife or my, my kids without bending down. I kind of did the lean over and just kind of like grabbed their neck, like the, the face hug, you know, like yeah. what would have happened? My last hug would have been, you know, some, some, uh, some hug without effort. And I probably didn't squeeze my wife tight enough, tight enough for the hug. And I probably released first and it probably was nothing because I was just upset and I just got to go. We'll see if this works. But, uh, I will tell you those five days as a state warrior, I was told I was held accountable to when I come home to get down on my kids' level and give them big hugs and don't let go until they do first. And after I say hi to my kids, go to my wife, hug her, and don't let go until she does first. Um, and, you know, Adam Carr and Jay Clark and Ray Chad and Josie and, and all these guys holding me accountable and an embrace, a small embrace in our return from state warrior was my saving grace and realized that life is worth it because these kids were probably, my kids were like, wow, that's what a real hug from dad feels like. Wow, he's got a smile on his face, even though he's probably jet-lagged. You know, I didn't care how jet-lagged I was. I was just so glad to see my family. It felt like a deployment, but, man, I wanted to see them. I wanted them to see the new dad, the new husband, the new Dan, you know? It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. What, uh, what would you say the, like, most impactful moment you had at Save a Warrior was? <laughs> I, know, oh, I know there's man. a lot. <laughs> I know there's a oh, lot. Oh, gosh. Every day. Um, no, I, I would, I would definitely have to say the leap of faith. Uh, the, the leap of faith was something that I have a extreme terror of heights. Terror. Um, and that shaky wooden, uh, that, that, the, the wooden uh, stake, the, the wooden pole that we had to, to, to climb up. I went first. I went first because Adam Carr, uh, you know, my personal hero, Green Beret, with his piercing blue eyes, was like, dude, leap from the front. You got this. You got this. And ha- having him tell me that, I was like, yep, here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, any other, any other situation, I wouldn't have done it. No way. I'd be like, no, I would have made an excuse, I've, and I wouldn't have done it. But because I wanted to lead my cohort, I wanted to lead the Lucky 11 that we were called. And I went up there. I was sitting up there. It felt like an hour, but it was probably about five minutes, and I got Doc yelling at me. I got Ray, I got Adam, all encouraging me, and uh, all I could see was the Pacific Ocean in front of me. And I swear to you, like, all I could see was, like, my wife and kids across the Pacific in Guam just being like, Dad, it's okay, like, just jump, like, leave it all behind. And that leap of faith, I literally left all those memories and all the grief and the um, the, um, the, the memories I had and just the, the irritability I'd left all behind on that jump. I mean, it was a while, it took me a while, but I got my two feet up there. And as soon as I got my two feet up there, I jumped. <laughs> I was out, man. I was, I was so scared, but, uh, my brothers had me. They, they let me down and I collapsed. I collapsed when I landed and all 11 of my brothers and the shepherds all like picked me up together. And it was a moment that I will never, ever forget. Like, 
I'm just crying. I'm just crying all over Ray's shoulder, his his uh, his his shirt, and it was a moment where I like looked up at the pole and I was like, oh my gosh, like there it is. I felt alive. Like this is what it's like to be alive. Um, because then there's a the meditation. Like I was that guy that never wanted to meditate. I can't sit still. I'm not gonna meditate. I'm not gonna do yoga. That sucks for hippies. That's what everyone says. That's what People who are closed-minded say, but when uh, it goes hand-in-hand hand with the first time I meditated, like, after those 20 minutes, my brain was like, hey, Dan, thank you. Like, it's been 27 years, and, and thanks for letting us, let, thanks for letting me breathe. That's yeah. what it's like to be stress-free and live a life uh, of just happiness. And um, you got the, uh, I, everything, man. I swear, everything has a learning point. Everything Every aspect was life changing and it was so much more beneficial than any, any, uh, one-on-one session with the doctor I've ever had. Um, because this is proven. These guys have been there, have done that, are, are evidence, evidence based for a reason. These guys have done it and they're living lives to the fullest. So why not me, right? So, um, the leap of faith and the meditation is what really opened my eyes to a better life. Okay. Amazing. I, I I like a few things you pointed out there just uh, multiple times throughout talking, actually, even before just now. But uh, just everybody who's there has been there and done that. Like, every everybody's got the same experiences. It's that uh, wounded healer archetype. Like, it's, oh, man. They, they have the ability to help you because they can see where you're at. Like, uh, I, just, I just went back and shepherded for my first time in June, and it blew my mind. Like, I could see the nervous energy in these guys the first day they arrived. Yeah. And immediately, like, knew, I was like, that's how I looked. I yeah. guarantee, I just, oh, I came here, like, still, like, you could tell, like, they're smiling and joking like military guys do when they get together. And, yeah. like, police officers, all that. They're all just joking, having a good time. But you could just see this nervous energy in all of them still. Like, you could see there wasn't real happiness. No. And, like, that's what, I, I was there faking it when I first got there. I had that mask on. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm fine. I'll joke around with the best of you. Yeah. And just, that, it's the most transformative transformation transformational week i've had in my life it's it's oh my god it's hard to describe it like you you did great at describing it and putting us in like a couple of those moments but like yeah just wow with all of it just wow the, the wow factor every day i remember i remember ray like always shooting me this look like you're about to get hit with 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 some emotions and some wow factor and every time there it was and i'd look at ray and i'd shake my head i'm like again like i just got done with with uh with the horses I just got done a leap of faith. I just got done up on the rope course with Adam. Like what else is there? You know, and you got all these different things and I look at pictures now of the opening uh the first day of the cohorts and I see people are uh arms folded, uh no smiling, like business as usual. And then of course, five days later I see the graduating photo of the cohort and the, everyone's smiling, just full of life and it is I'll tell you, like, the social media and the Facebook Live that Adam and everyone at the, at the State Warrior does um, is continuing my healing because it brings me back to the sea. Though I'm thousands of miles away in Guam, um, it brings me back to the sea, and I feel like I'm entrenched with the guys again. And hearing you go back in Shepherd and hear the, the, the moments that you're having and seeing, I cannot wait. For Uncle Sam to send me back stateside, which is going to be here in a few months, and 
and get to pay it forward and and see see the evidence from outside looking in instead of being in the trenches, you know. That's amazing. And just hearing like what you just said right there, you might not even notice it, but like uh you talked about like kind of losing your purpose when you weren't going to be able to deploy again and like that was your yep. purpose was to be able to go and do that. And now you're saying like I can't wait till I can come back here and pay it forward. You're like oh, I absolutely. can't wait till I can come and just serve and help people. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a it's a hobby of mine now and I I find complete joy uh and happiness in whatever it is when it, when it comes to paying it forward um and and Save a Warrior has taught me that because before Save a Warrior I really didn't I really didn't think about others. That's horrible. Uh I thought about myself and uh, my own pity party though I was going through some things absolutely. Um once you start uh, once you start caring about others, everything else will fall into place. Like once you start legitimately caring about others, your issues aren't as bad, you know. So if I can go shepherd, or if I can go donate, or if I can go speak, or if I can do, if I can set up a fundraiser for uh, my favorite sport, and and it snowballs, like look what happened. Great things happen to great people, and it's just uh, I'm wearing single digits now. My family and I in Guam, and we both, my wife and I, are both talking about being close to any place in the States uh, in order for us, for us to pay it back because my wife and I are a package deal and she wants to get involved, you know, so it's just, it's just wonderful um, how things change and the fact that she's still right here by my side to, to keep me accountable and, and keep me moving forward because we all need that, whether it's a spouse, a family member, a friend, or a Facebook uh, message or a Skype call away. I'm glad that I've, I have so many now uh, with Save a Warrior. Yeah, it's, it's a powerful network to be in. Yeah. And uh, you, you talked about ways to give back and through a sport, so I, I think that's mm-hmm. the perfect tie-in. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, Shootout for Shul- Soldiers, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Shootout for Soldiers. Um, it's uh, it's a organization that was put together by uh, Tyler Steinhardt. Uh, he's the founder of it. Uh, a little bit of his backstory is that from what I, from what I uh, remember, it was like his senior year high school project. Um, and it's kind of an idea he had. He has no mil- he had no military affiliation at the time. Um, however, um, he, uh, he thought of this wonderful idea, uh, with sport lacrosse. Like, hey, let's, let's put a lacrosse game together and all the money that goes to give to the veterans. Uh, and it started out as just a quick pick, pick up game and, uh, it turned into, it evolutionized into, 24 one-hour lacrosse games. So 24 hours of lacrosse, and all the money that's raised goes towards veteran, veterans and nonprofit organizations. Um, so I remember hearing about this my last year in Germany in 2013, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait. Because they started it uh, in Baltimore, Maryland, and they expanded it to all these different cities in the States. Now there's eight cities in the United States, Long Island, my hometown being one of them. And, um, of course, luck would have it that my leave dates with my family are right in, right in conjunction with, uh, in a few days, shoot up for soldiers in uh, uh, Long Island 2017. And um, I would just say that Baltimore, a few weeks ago, the event raised over $200,000 for veterans. Oh, wow. $200,000. And that's all split up through all their different um, um, pillar nonprofits. Um and the fact that I, since I was um, participating in it, I thought, why not 
let's let's see if Save Warrior can get involved. And here I am trying to pay forward and uh, through the sport of lacrosse, which has been a constant for me throughout my life and career. That that stick and that ball was little did I know it was a stress reliever for me. Um, throughout all the tough times in life, through 9/11, my mother unfortunately getting diagnosed with breast cancer on deployments overseas, the thing was always with me. And um, after I went, after I came back from war, I kind of put it away. I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And um, that kind of spiraled into some really, really bad behavior. And I, 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 it's horrible that I ever put it down because picking it back up again after Save a Warrior, um, I started up a club team in Guam for veterans and active duty members. And uh, we were invited to Tokyo to play. We're going to Hawaii in uh, October to play. Here I am playing as Sheriff of Soldiers to honor those who can't be with us or those who have uh, much, much more unfortunate than us or those who are just struggling with a bad day. Um, to be able to pay for, raise money, uh, there's no better feeling, and I cannot wait. I'm going to have the biggest smile on my face for 24 straight hours uh, this coming Thursday. So That is great. So so yeah. happy for you with that. Like it, it is great to have uh, that stuff. They talk about it in Save a Warrior. I did. I, I did. I think like uh, with, with like Iron John and all that. Like getting reconnected to like your childhood, and like yep. once you're able to get a lot of that trauma off your back, you can you can get connected again with all the things that used to make you happy. Yeah. And I, I have the exact same thing. Like basketball. Like going around shooting around at basketball. Oh, like I'm just in that moment, and it's so great and so peaceful to be able oh, to man. have that. Instead Absolutely, of just man. Isn't it? that thought process yep. of bullshit. <laughs> yep. Instead of just sitting and just thinking and just wondering what, what if, or why not, or when is my next time up, uh, I struggle with just being present in the moment. Being in the military, being asked duty, it's always what's tomorrow, what's next, what's the next accomplishment, what's the next mission. I never just was present. It was always what's next. Even with my kids. My kids could have been doing the most fun thing in the world. We could be at Dave and Buster's. We could have been at the beach in Guam. We could be at these wonderful hikes. But I'm just worried about, hey, what's, when's this over? I'm done. Um, and it's got to be present. The Save a Warrior taught me how to be mindful and to be present in the moment. Like, sometimes just disconnect and enjoy what's going on. Um, and, and it's wonderful. That's with, with lacrosse. Lacrosse helps me to just kind of zone out, be competitive, and just be one with my thoughts. And I'll tell you, when I'm, when I'm playing lacrosse, or I'm just hitting the wall, hitting the ball against the wall. I'm just thinking about happy thoughts, man. That's it. It's just what's what's going on, what I'm grateful for, what I'm thankful for, the fact that I can walk and run and do these things. I'd be grateful for life because I know there's people out there that have had a much worse day than me. So why not live your life to the fullest? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel you. I feel yeah. you. So uh, this uh, lacrosse game is it going to be televised in any way, or will beat people to be able to uh, check it out? Just find it online uh, anywhere. Um, I don't think it's televised. I do know that local, uh, like local news stations and, uh, local papers will be there to cover it. Um, I do remember Tyler talking about how he wants to involve ESPN or, uh, the lacrosse network, uh, do like a live feed. Maybe in a year or two, I think we're going to get there, but, um, I'll tell you what, Tyler and the Shootout for Soldiers team is all over it on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It is like, Every hour on the hour, they update with pictures, video highlights, stuff like that, which is absolutely wonderful. So if anybody's ever want, uh, interested just to follow Shoot Up the Soldiers on Instagram or Facebook, they do a wonderful job just 
educating those who have no idea what it's about. Okay. And I'll I'll make sure yeah. to uh get those links from you and make sure they're absolutely. posted with this. Yeah, absolutely, man. Alrighty. So Yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be oh man. I can't imagine. Like you you're gonna go out there and you get to play a sport that you love and then you just talk <laughs> as like a way for you to be so present and you get to yep. do it like and raise a bunch of money to do something. Oh my gosh. It's like you're you're combining two passions right now and just Oh, giving. It's, it's so, overload, man, dude. It's like, it's like mindfulness overload. And like, the fact that the, uh, what's so great about it is that they have a ceremony for an hour to honor veterans at five o'clock PM here on the Island. And then after that ceremony is the veterans game. So it's a bunch of veterans playing together for an hour. Um, and then my cousin, uh, who was a, uh, firefighter in the city of New York, he invited me to play on his team against the NYPD. So it's FDNY versus NYPD uh, at 10 p.m. under the lights. I get to play with the first responders. And I think there's no other way um, to really celebrate life than to do all the things that I'm, I'm grateful for, not to mention how members of Save a Warrior, Teresa, Jake, uh, Jimmy, they're all flying us from all over the U.S. just to come to support me uh, for, for 24 hours. Save a Warrior is going to have a booth. They're going to be selling a bunch of swag. It is just going to be on me, family overload, people who have impacted my life in such a great way. I can't wait to follow all this on uh, on Facebook. Absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. I'll be I'll be updating everyone, just be smiling, smiling, big smiles on my face. A lot of selfies with Jake. A lot of shout-outs to Adam, my brother Adam Carr. So we're going to be out there. We're going to be loving every minute. The weather's supposed to be wonderful, too. So. All right. Perfect. We hear it here first. Big yes, things sir, happening absolutely. with Save a Warrior and Lacrosse. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, within nine months, Uncle Sam's going to be back stateside, uh, thankfully. So we'll see where, uh, where, where he takes me next. Hopefully it's, uh, Ohio. Yeah, Ohio would be a very yep. cool place to live. Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> yep, you know what I'm talking about, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in and listening to Thought Talks. This is Jake, who, what, where, signing out.